Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay. I'm back. I'm back. I'm Kevin Laramay. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One with Mark Daly as well. Mark, I want to start the show by saying thank you for holding the fort while I was busy <laughs> with everything in life. Thank you to everyone that filled in as well. It was a, a pleasure to listen to you all, but I'm back. Well, finally, it's been a long time. We've missed you around here, Kevin, and uh, I mean, great work on the on the World Cup. And I just have to say that for for people that uh, that may not follow our soccer stuff, I have to say that it was a real twist last week that uh, I joined you and Aaron Papernick on Canada FC on Sirius XM radio. So to be interviewed by you uh, in a, like in a soccer context was a, was a bit of a different twist. I know, I know we've done it before in, in a slightly different way, but it was pretty cool to do it on the uh, uh, like on live on the radio. So that, that was cool, but I'm, I'm glad you're back. There's, there's a lot of stuff to, to talk about and there's a lot of stuff that, uh, that obviously, you missed and didn't miss, and there's still a lot of Formula <laughs> One to come, which is going to be great. I mean, we're only halfway through the season. August is almost over, which means the summer vacations for everyone involved in F1 is almost over. Just a few days left before the Belgian Grand Prix kicks off the, the second half of the season. But before we dive into F1 news, Mark, I want to send my thoughts and my good and well wishes to Robert Wickens and everyone at Schmidt-Peterson Motorsport in, in IndyCar. And I have a feeling we're going to talk about IndyCar probably in a few minutes when we get to Fernando Alonso. But for Robert <laughs> Wickens, I terrible accident. It was a terrible crash when he collided with Ryan Torre and his car just flew right into the fence. And the fence is great to protect the fans that are watching the race it's great to protect kind of the drivers but it asks it acts like a cheese grater and it destroyed the car the cell did its job but a lot of injuries for robert wickens he had a spine surgery yesterday and we hope the best for the canadian indycar driver yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, shocking to see that. And we just know that accidents are a part of motorsport. But when they're big ones like that, it really just makes uh, your heart run cold and uh, your blood just uh, really, it, it really chills you. And it, it, it's frightening to see. I mean, obviously, we're, we're all happy that uh, that he's alive. And, and we just hope that the, the injuries that he has sustained, will uh, he'll recover from as quickly as possible and that uh, he'll make a, a full and complete uh, recovery. And uh, obviously, at this point, uh, the the focus is on his health and not whether or not uh, he'll be racing again. Hopefully, he will be. But obviously, uh, first and foremost, uh, we're we're all concerned about Robert Wickens' health and uh, that he'll be, uh, like I say, 
healthy again very very soon but but frightening i don't know if you, you saw it but uh, another uh, driver that we're, we're very very familiar here in canada paul tracy uh, was uh, saying uh, today on instagram and other other, other social media channels that he would uh, like to see um, safety improved in uh, different ways and uh, he basically said the same thing that uh, that you were doing uh, were that, uh, that the fences are great for keeping cars in the tracks uh, but uh, yeah, there, there's got to be a, a better way because, by God, the, the way that that car literally exploded into a, a thousand tiny pieces or more. I mean, obviously, the uh, that that is what the cars are designed to do to help yeah. dissipate the energy of a big uh, accident like that. But exactly. still, the way that he he went airborne and over the the, the safety barriers, which would have uh, really uh, you know, help dissipate that energy more, and probably would have made the uh, the well. I mean, it still would have been a heavy impact, but. The way that he took off and hit the fencing like that was just absolutely frightening and, and something that thankfully we don't see very often. But still, that doesn't mean that uh, changes should not be made. Oval racing in an open wheel car is a dangerous way to live. Well, let's be honest here. Yep. But th there's probably changes that could be done on the barriers. And there's the safer barriers aspect. But because of the nature of an oval not the entire track usually is with the safer barriers and it's kind of a happenstance today i was uh, bike riding along the circuit de Veneuve in montreal here and i stopped and i took a look at the safer barrier just just to to get to wrap my head around it too a bit and i don't know what the solution is for oval maybe make the barriers a bit two three feet higher so that you have less fans maybe or, or i don't know what the magic solution could be but it's not the first time we've seen this it probably won't be the last and we kind of have to think and when i say we indycar has to take a look at what safety measures they could improve with this unfortunate accident well you know kevin it's interesting you should uh, mention that because uh, of course it's a uh, circuit Villeneuve. we've seen some very big accidents over the years everybody remembers the big crash that Robert Kubica had in the Williams uh, several years ago uh, before coming down into the hairpin and the way that uh, his car launched into that little wing wall off of the uh, the, the side of the track and then uh, really, again, just exploded into a million tiny pieces and, and uh, Kubica basically barrel rolled uh, down the track and across the track before coming to a rest uh, against the, uh, the the safety wall on the other side of the, 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 the track. And then even earlier this year at the Canadian Grand Prix, we saw how Lance Stroll and uh, Brendan Hartley got squeezed up uh, against uh, together and how Hartley's car got uh, launched into the air. And uh, fortunately, both of them were okay. And I think that was uh, probably a pretty good indicator of uh, why the, uh, the the halo in that incident is, uh, is so uh, important and adds uh, an extra layer of safety for the drivers because that had the, the potential to be a, a very nasty accident rather than just both of them sort of shrugging their shoulders and, uh, <laughs> you know, walking away from that one. So uh, definitely safety is something that has to be first and foremost and at the front, no matter in Formula One, IndyCar, endurance cars, whatever it is, the safety of the drivers and the spectators and everybody involved is uh, the absolute uh, priority. Now that we've talked about the safety issue in IndyCar, it's not the first time and it probably won't be the last time. IndyCar is one of those yep. series where because of the nature of the different tracks, because of the nature of the banking in certain oval like Texas, like other places as well, you do have those unfortunate accidents happen more often than in other open wheel series. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on the health of Robert Wickens and maybe give a few updates when they come available to us now let's move to formula one mark a lot of 
news happened since the last <laughs> time we talked. The biggest yeah. news of them all. Danny Ricciardo leaving Red Bull for Renault. Isn't it just amazing, Kevin, when you kind of look at what they traditionally call the silly season, just how really silly it was this year? Because it really was hanging on a lot of things. Obviously, uh, we knew that the deal for Lewis Hamilton at uh, at Mercedes, it was going to get done. It just, I, I think, it surprised a lot of people how long it was taking to get done. I don't think that it really. I, I I know personally for myself, I expected it done before the Hungarian Grand Prix or German Grand Prix, whenever they announced it in the past month or so. And that was basically one, once that was confirmed, it, it seemed like a no-brainer that they would uh, pick up the option or give um, uh, give uh, Valtteri Bottas a new deal because he was out of a, a seat at the end of the year. And then, of course, the other big question, which is still unresolved at Ferrari, was uh, Kimi Raikkonen. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in, a, in a minute here. But those were really the two, I'd say, logical options if you're Daniel Ricciardo. Because if you take the big three teams, obviously it's Mercedes, then Ferrari, and then Red Bull. So if you're Danny Ricciardo and the Red Bull... Logically, the only place you're going to go is up, and that either meant taking Raikkonen's seat or taking one of the Mercedes seats, and uh, obviously that uh, kind of got uh, sorted out uh, pretty quickly. And uh, yeah, and I think it was interesting also some of the discussions that were kind of going around, and uh, th- there was talk at one point that, or at least Zach Brown, the, uh, the the CEO of McLaren, said that they had serious talks with uh, with Ricardo, which I find kind of interesting. And again, we'll get into the the whole Alonso retiring from Formula One and leaving McLaren in, in a minute here. That it's on the list, and it's a big list this week. <laughs> it is <laughs> uh, because I, you know, honestly, I think that uh, Alonso was kind of the last real claim. I think that uh, McLaren had to being sort of like a, a big team, if you want to call them that, considering how they've uh, really slipped back and they haven't won a race now since what 2012. If I'm I, correct, I think I mean, so. Off the top of my year. head, yeah, I think it's 2012. Yeah, so it's almost six full seasons. Yeah, so that that always to me felt like a stretch. And then the only other logical one seemed, or I don't even know if it was logical, maybe the outside choice, which actually turned out to be the first choice, was Renault. Because I think it just seemed to be a matter of time that uh, that uh, that they would just say that uh, uh, Carlos Sainz would not be coming back because he's not even a Renault driver. He was just basically loaned in to, to them in that whole really complicated situation that came up at the yeah. end of last year when McLaren broke the deal with Honda and the Toro Rosso took the Honda engines and they gave their Renault engines to, to McLaren and that, that whole complicated situation and just how badly that, that relationship between Red Bull Racing and Renault went. I mean, I mean, talk about things kind of went, you know, bad breakups. That's been a pretty bad breakup because, I mean, if you see what Surreal Atabula has been saying that, oh, yeah. we've stopped listening to Christian Horner like years ago. <laughs> you know, it's you know, kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, you're, long time. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly right. Just the way Renault reacted to this whole situation and let's not underestimate the importance of Red Bull changing engine next year going with Honda with the decision of Danny Ricardo to go to Renault maybe he's anticipating a dip in performance in Renault in Red Bull next year with the Honda engine it has been more reliable with Toro Rosso than it has been with McLaren. The performances have not been too shabby with Toro Rosso when you regard the entirety 
of the car and the budget of that team. But yep. can it take over Renault as an engine for Red Bull proper? That's the question. And if you're Danny Ricardo, maybe he's thinking that this change of engine might give Renault, uh, Red Bull, I mean, in a year or two of learning how to work with Honda. Because it's one thing for Toro Russell to work with Honda. Who's the biggest entity in this? It's Honda, right? So Toro Rosso will probably follow the guidelines a bit more and learn to work with Honda. If you're Red Bull, you're going to demand performance out of Honda. And we've seen what happened the last time a team asked Honda for performance. Just ask Fernando Alonso and McLaren. It did not go well at all. So if I'm Danny Ricardo, I'm expecting Red Bull to maybe have a dip in performance. So if I'm him and I see Renault having a position open... They have the money to pay me the my true worth. That's not a problem. They have the budget, one of the highest budget in Formula 1, top 4 budget here, to maybe finally break through. And if you look at the 5-year plan they had, well, it's year number 4 next year. And it's getting close to the 5-year where they anticipate that they'll be competitive. So if I'm Danny Ricardo, if I was thinking of doing that move maybe for 2020, might as well do now. Work out the last of the kinks of the car and the partnership of everything with this car. Learn to drive the Renault engine, which you already know in a way. And just progress with, with Renault until you are able to win races if they ever get there. Yeah, it's really fascinating, Kevin, because I kind of see the six as one half dozen of the other because obviously there's room for improvement in both of them. Obviously, the, the, the Honda engine has been the big question mark over the last several years since uh, they rejoined uh, Formula One. And we all know the problems that uh, that they had with uh, with Honda. I mean, or sorry, with uh, McLaren. That wasn't even up uh, for, for debate, but... I, I think that's out of the whole situation. I think that Red Bull had the a uh, very unique and privileged position to be able to review the engine data from from both manufacturers, having the the, the Honda engines in the Toro Rosso, which is their their junior or their sister team, however you want to call it, and then having the Renault engines in 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 the factory team and Red Bull Racing themselves. So, I mean, they've been able to compare apples with apples. It's not just going to be hearsay and just you know people kind of passing on information or <laughs> spying on each yeah. other because we know this is formula one we know that happens or, or just you know monitoring the progress of uh, of mclaren so that was very fascinating but i was reading in the august edition of uh, formula one racing magazine that they reckon now that the the honda engine is only 30 horsepower off of the mercedes so the the speculation the question was that over the, say between this year and next year Will Honda be able to make more gains in improvement and say close that gap to say 15 or 20 horsepower? And if you get that close to the Mercedes uh, power, the Mercedes car at that point, they've got this guy called Adrian Newey. And last time I heard, he's pretty good at designing cars, <laughs> obviously, chief technical officer, Red Bull Racing. And that, yeah. that was the speculation. If they can, if they can narrow that 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 gap even closer in engine performance, do they have the edge on the design side that that Nui can can close that gap even better by designing a car that is is better than the Mercedes? So then on the other side of that ar argument, then is is Renault like you say? It's top tour, top four team, top uh, team budget. You know, loads of resources, and uh, like you're saying, they're in year four of five of this uh, program to get back to being competitive in Formula One. 
so I guess if you're Ricardo, you're just you're, you're kind of really weighing wh- which one's going to give me the, the best shot. And that kind of leads into a, another topic of discussion. And Christian Horner, the, the, the team principal at Red Bull Racing, says that he believed that Ricardo's decision was, in fact, a link to his now former teammate, Max Verstappen. Yeah. And I think it's uh, pretty obvious that Max is one for the future. And if he can ever really get his head screwed on straight, <laughs> like he has over say i'd say since the canadian grand prix at the beginning of june max has been very very good yeah. compared to the the start of the year up into the monaco grand prix to where max was just taking really... out ricardo literally just a few races yeah. this year he took out his teammate and those feelings do stay I, the perception of the relationship between those two has always been that they'd agreed and they were kind of buddies and it was all well and good and roses are red and violets are blue and we're going to get along and we're going to sing Kumbaya. But behind the scenes, after the first few incidents this year, yep. it, it had to have gone down a bit, right? You kind of have to imagine that the the Aussie temper of Danny Ricardo probably overtook his Aussie happiness and he wasn't probably happy with a few moves that Verstappen did do and I guess that probably help him take his decision yeah well if you think about it Kevin if you even dial it back to a year ago and I mean by no means has Verstappen and Ricardo reached any any form or, or or any kind of resemblance to the frosty and toxic nature of Hamilton and uh, Nico Rosberg over <laughs> the years. True. But uh, last year, you have to go back to the Hungarian Grand Prix where Max uh, slid into Danny Ricardo and in turn three on the opening lap and knocked his teammate out. It was pretty tense for at least by their standards at that point. And I think that uh, they kind of recovered from that to, to a certain degree. But uh, again, this year when they crashed at uh, Baku and both of them went out and that was, again, I think a, a renewal of that. And, and Max just was not doing... I don't think he was living up to a lot of the expectations uh, that that we have of him. I, I know he's still a young guy. I know he's still learning Formula One to a certain degree. I mean, he, even though he's in his fourth full season, I mean, he just didn't have the benefit of, say, some of these other guys, say, even like Ricardo himself, who didn't uh, get into Formula One until he was in his early 20s. So, I mean, he's doing his learning all basically in real time while, while we're watching him. So it's been difficult, but to his credit, I mean, he's been able to, to turn it around, but I think that's sort of been the question, I mean, or the, the statements or the situation, if you will. I, I think I don't think they have a named number one, but I think the, the, the assumption is that just that, that Max is that guy that has, you know, that some of those intangibles. He has that speed. He's got the aggressiveness. He's got that, that daring do. He's got all those things that, uh, that a world champion should have. And it's just a question of, you know, is it going to happen for, for him? It's just sort of putting them all together. And and, and we've seen that over the past couple of uh, races where mentally he's a lot more focused. And Ricardo was saying at one point, well, I don't need to be the team number one at Red Bull. It would be nice, but it's not something I want. I don't really need it. So it is kind of interesting that, uh, that uh, even though he was saying right up until the Hungarian Grand Prix that he was ready to sign a new deal he was ready to stay at uh, at Red Bull Racing and commit to them. So it was the big surprise, really. And and even Helmut Marco said that it was a very strange saga. <laughs> and uh, Ricardo obviously is saying it, it's sad, but the time was right to leave Red Bull and make the move to to, to Renault. So before and, uh, before the August break, okay, the last yeah. Grand Prix, I forget off the top of my head the name, but before the last Grand Prix weekend, before the break, 
Marco talks to Ricardo and I'm like, okay, so uh, we got the new contract here. You want to sign it? He's like, yes, I'm going to sign it. I'm going to sign it Tuesday. All right, go on vacation. Marco gets a phone call on Tuesday. Uh, yeah, I changed my mind. I- I'm going to Renault. So that was a bit of a of a change of situation and a bit of a weird way for it to all happen. I wonder what did Cyril a bit of wood when he called Ricardo <laughs> sweeten the pot with. I wonder what it was all about. Of course, Ricardo becomes number one driver of Renault next year. It's not even a question. Hulkenberg's there, but Hulkenberg is there because of Decra and the Decra money. And he's mm-hmm. there for that reason. Yes, he's a decent driver and he's going to be able to not make the car look bad. I'm not going to say it's gonna, he's going to make it look good and change everything, but he doesn't make it look bad. So yep. Ricciardo comes into this team as the number one driver with the entirety of the resources of Renault behind him. Yeah. You know, it's also interesting, Kevin, uh, and uh, I was thinking about this um, a, a couple of weeks ago, especially like uh, at that Hungarian Grand Prix where it uh, kind of, I guess, it sort of unraveled or the, I guess the decisions were made was uh, Max Verstappen, of course, he drops out, you know, his engine lets go and uh, he uh, lets go a, a very profanity-laced tirade over the race radio. He apologized afterwards. But he, he's been sort of a little bit outspoken about the engines at times. So Christian Horner has been very outspoken and critical of Renault, not just this year, but basically going all the way back to 2014. But the only guy that's never really spoken up, I, I mean, he, he's talked about things, but he's never been overly critical, especially now, not about Renault, was uh, was was Danny Ricardo. So maybe he had some criticisms in private, but in the public arena at any rate, Danny Ricardo has uh, sort of really played his cards uh, close to his chest, and obviously he didn't burn those bridges. And well, I mean, if uh, Renault uh, are able to produce a more competitive car next year or the year after uh, for him compared to the Red Bull, then that might uh, prove to be a very, very good decision on uh, Ricardo's part, uh, not to you know to be cautious and maybe uh, political, <laughs> and and yeah. not upset anybody at uh, at Renault. But, you know, like you were saying, I, I think that, uh, again, he is an upgrade, obviously, on uh, Nico Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg, I'd say he's in that, that sort of second tier of drivers in, in Formula One. I mean, he, he's a capable driver, but I don't think that he's really going to get as much out of that car that, uh, that, that Ricardo will. And I think that's one of the other things, uh, too, because uh, at, uh, at Hungary at the last race there before the summer break, we saw Kimi Räikkönen and his whole family there, his wife, his son. And uh, the, the whole uh, story behind that was, even though they haven't confirmed anything yet, is that they were trying to get a, a deal set up uh, for, for Kimi to stay with uh, Ferrari for next year. And, and speculation is perhaps even for the year after that. So, But uh, th- there, there that. were some questions you know, uh, even about... Sorry, Kevin, I just want yeah, to say that, uh, that even um, uh, Vettel... Uh, I think was a, a little bit kind of wary about the possibility of uh, of Ricardo <laughs> joining Ferrari because the one year they were together, Ricardo did better than him. So given a good car, I think Ricardo could do very, very well. That's a good segue to talk about if Kimi Raikkonen is the right man for Ferrari. And according to a famous driver, my most favorite driver of all time, but uh, I got a bit biased here. I'm from Montreal. From Quebec, Jacques Villeneuve, 1997 world champion. He mentioned that it would be a mistake for Ferrari to go with Leclerc and that Kimi Raikkonen should stay at Ferrari. But Mark, in the history of this show, especially the last two years, I've always talked this way about Kimi Raikkonen. 
yes, he's fast. He's good. He's a good teammate. He helps you. He helps uh, develop the car and all that. But for me, he always seems like he was missing the hunger. He was missing that little anger as well that you kind of need and youthfulness in a way. Look what Verstappen did when he took over for Kvyat. He won Barcelona, yes, but then he continued to help and develop that car. And I think Ferrari, for them to truly bridge that little gap left still that they have versus the Mercs, I think they need that. And it's going to take time. There's going to be some growing pains. But if you think of making the change in 2020, there's going to be so much rule change between 2019 and 2020 as well and 2021 after. Why not mm -hmm. make it now and have Leclerc have to adapt and understand and discover Formula One, discover everything in a way that would benefit him in the long term? And Vettel's not going to stay at Ferrari for 20 years. And Leclerc, he's so young that he could be the guy who takes over after the guy. So if I'm Ferrari, as much as I hate to disagree with Jacques Villeneuve, and he has more experience <laughs> than I have in a Formula One car, so, so let's make that clear. He knows more what he's talking about than I am. But if I'm Ferrari, I kind of have to favor Charles Leclerc. He's been so good with a terrible car this year. Of course, the car looks amazing. Maybe the nicest looking car in the entire grid. But I have to say, maybe Ferrari needs to add some a bit of youth and superstar power to a team that, yes, they're great, Vettel's great, it's Raikkonen, it's the same old, same old. But a little bit of change sometimes helps move things along. Yeah, the thing is with Kimi, it's almost like the safe choice, right? You you kind of know what he's going to get. He he's not going to really threaten Vettel because you know Vettel is just that little bit faster than him. But you know, it, it's interesting. I think that the Hungarian Grand Prix a couple of weeks ago was the perfect example of how a, a, like a, a team and a teammate should work, whether it was intentional or not. Once Lewis Hamilton was out in the lead there, and uh, Ferrari botched uh, Sebastian Vettel's pit stop. And he came out just behind Valtteri Bottas. Bottas, uh, I don't know if it was intentional, whether he was just lapping a little bit slower or he was ordered by the team or he just wasn't as fast as Sebastian Vettel. Whatever the case may have been, it worked I ideally for Mercedes because he just he kept the two Ferraris at bay basically right until the very end. And by the time that uh, Vettel was able to get around him, well, there were only a couple laps left in the race. And Lewis Hamilton was miles ahead on, on the track. I mean, that was going to be a thing regardless if Vettel was quicker than both uh, Botas and Lewis Hamilton. He just was not going to catch up and do it at that point with a couple of laps left. And, of course, there, there was a whole thing with the, 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 the you know, trading paint with one another and the whole sort of... <laughs> The, the controversy that surrounded that with uh, with uh, Botas and Vettel and then uh, Raikkonen as well, or sorry with uh, with Ricardo. I mean, obviously Raikkonen. Or sorry, Botas. I'm getting my fins mixed up here, Kevin. It's, <laughs> you know, first week back from summer break, and I'm yeah, just exactly. coming back from my holiday as well. So Raikkonen, <laughs> the, 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 the Ferrari yeah. finish uh, driver. But uh, the, the point is, is that uh, that Vettel, or sorry, not Vettel, uh, Botas did exactly what he needed to do. He really provided that buffer between Hamilton 
and the Ferraris to let Lewis just do what he needed to do while slowing down the, the, the two Scarlet Ferraris and just basically running interference to the point that it didn't really matter if they, they, they got uh, you know they got in front of them, they'd pick up extra points in the world championship. But the thing was, by that point, they weren't going to uh, uh, challenge for the top step on the podium. They weren't going to challenge for, for the win. And that's the thing that uh, that we've seen not just in the race, but also in qualifying. And sometimes Kimmy, he just he has that one little moment in qualifying and just can't really do the same thing, sort of run that interference and kind of shake up the order a little bit and, and back up his teammate because there's there's quite often, you know, you see Vettel mixed up there with the two Mercedes and you really need that second Ferrari in there to, to really be effective. So whether or not, you know, Leclerc would be the guy to do it. I mean, and, and let's be honest here. I mean, what he's done in that Sauber this year, obviously not one of the best cars in Formula One, is absolutely amazing. I mean, uh, I know the last couple of races hasn't been quite as good for Leclerc as, uh, say, the, the maybe the, the, the previous several. I mean, maybe even going back all the way to the beginning of the year. But the thing is, I mean, he's consistently outperformed his uh, teammate, outqualified him, and he's made it into Q3. He's into the top 10. He's really punching above his weight in a car, and he really doesn't have any business to be there. I mean, the, the, the difference between him and Marcus Erickson is, is night and day. So, I mean, obviously he's able to exact that much performance out of a car that that has its issues and so given a really good car like a, a red bull or a ferrari or a mercedes who knows what this guy could do the thing is you're going from from a smaller environment at uh, at sauber where maybe you're protected and then maybe yeah. nurtured to a, a certain degree to being under the the, the, micros, uh, the, the microscope pressure. in one of the biggest team and the pressure of not just one of the biggest teams in formula one but one of the biggest teams in motorsport anywhere in the entire world so is that that timing just right for for, for Leclerc to, to make that jump because I mean honestly Ferrari's never given young drivers like him a shot so where where is that trade-off do you give him one more year at Sauber do you give Kimi one more year to have like a, a final farewell tour or do you just like you say just uh, you, you know like what with the changes that are coming gradually over the next two years and then the complete sea change for 2021 and beyond yeah. Do you just sort of pull the Band-Aid off and just to just get it over with now? So that's obviously a, a big, big decision that Ferrari is going to have to make. And, of course, there there is a bit of vacuum at yeah. Ferrari because, uh, unfortunately, Sergio Marchionne passed away several weeks ago. So they had to uh, enact that uh, succession plan. So that was really unexpected. So I, I think that whatever they're going to do, I think that... Um, I, I think that Marchioni had that uh, that that presence, and he had that that force to get things done, and, and get it done to his satisfaction. And I think just in the the, the whole aftermath of his, his passing, I, I get the feeling that they're just being a little bit more cautious, and they're they're going to make the right move. It just might not be as quick as that we we might have seen under uh, Sergio. Sergio Marchioni was very conservative, though, as well with his decisions. So maybe now is the time. It, it's. Who risk? There's a saying in French that goes this way. I'll say it in French and I'll say it in English after. Qui risque rien n'a rien. Who risks nothing gets nothing. And uh, is Ferrari really happy playing second fiddle to Lewis Hamilton over the last four years? And is there any way that's going to change this year? Probably not. You kind of have to throw a monkey in the wrench. And maybe Vettel gets a bit complacent too. And maybe you need to shake him up too. What if he 
finishes second in FP1 and FP2 because Leclerc is a bit faster. Could be totally the opposite too. But if you don't risk it, if you don't try it, guess what? You're not going to know. And the beauty of this sport is if it doesn't work out, we've seen worse things happen. You pull a Kvyat, you send him back to Sauber, and you <laughs> you bring back Raikkonen or something. That can always happen. But if you don't yep. give the driver a chance, you'll never know. And the last young driver that was given a chance at Formula One before people were thinking that he's ready is Max Verstappen. And look where he is now. Two wins, podiums later, great performances all around, majority of the time. So maybe we are moving away from the old veteran driver. And if you look at the landscape of the, of the entire driver peloton, there's some good young drivers out there. And you know... It's all well and good to talk about them as the futures, but if you don't want Leclerc to become a Pascal Verhein and just disappear off the face of the earth, you have to give him a shot. And now, as good as any time. Yeah, and Kevin, just uh, before we take a quick break here, I just want to make uh, make the point that that uh, Daniel Ricciardo was saying not so long ago that uh, that having a strong teammate like a, a Verstappen really pushes you to be better. And I, I think that that uh, Vettel naturally is just that little bit faster than than Kimi Raikkonen, without really having to to push himself uh, even further. And like I was saying earlier, we saw at uh, at Red Bull Racing in 2014 that Ricardo was better than than, than Vettel. I mean, there's all those uh, there's other side things too that he knew he was going to Ferrari at the end of that after the end of that year. He'd already won four world championships, so maybe he was to a certain degree maybe going through the motions. But uh, the the thing is, what would it be like if he had a guy that was closer to him to push him and just motivate him a little bit more? Because obviously, I think uh, that, that Verstappen and Raikkonen, sorry, Verstappen and and Ricardo were better than Hamilton and and uh, and Rosberg. I mean, Rosberg obviously not quite as uh, as quick as uh, as uh, as Lewis Hamilton. Not very many people are, but was able to outperform uh, Lewis on occasion. Was able to to push himself to try and match Hamilton as best he could. And I think that that's one thing that's uh, benefited Red Bull. And I mean, you see over the years, the, the past couple of years, just how things have gone back back and forth, and how they've been able to to score wins and podiums at, at Red Bull. Uh, between Verstappen and Ricardo, that isn't uh, maybe expected all the time. And I think that what they've lacked maybe in the power of the Renault engine, they've made for with some of the other things like the the, the performance and the handling of the car itself. And then just the, the the drivers, two very good drivers in Max Verstappen and Danny Ricardo pushing each other or at least feeding off of the, the other guy and just uh, mo- that motivating them to, to be faster, to be better and just, hey, I want to be beat that guy that's sitting across from me in, in the garage. So... I, I think that maybe Ferrari could do that because I've been thinking that just based on the consistency this year, that even though it's been swinging back between Mercedes and Ferrari and occasionally Red Bull, that just on, in the in the bigger picture, that that Lewis Hamilton has just been more consistent than Sebastian Vettel. You think about Vettel's lunge at Turn One at Baku, that didn't stick and dropped him back, so he lost points there. And then more recently, for example just to, to use a couple here, is when uh, he slid off into the gravel at, uh, at the German Grand Prix while leading. And, you know, you go, you look at the result there and then in Hungary and what had been a slight advantage in the world championship for Sebastian Vettel over the course of two short races, literally back to back, reversed and has now been opened up into what has started to be a fairly comfortable gap 
at the top for Lewis Hamilton. I mean, obviously there's a lot of races to go, but still it's, it's, it's amazing how things uh, can change quickly. But maybe that's what uh, what Vettel needs is just uh, another guy there to to really just push him a little bit more, and uh, you know by virtue of that just uh, push Ferrari a little bit more and become more of a consistent double threat uh, to Mercedes Benz. Yep, exactly. So we'll we'll see what happens with this. But uh, how about a little word from our very great and generous sponsor? Yes, uh, today's show is being sponsored by uh, Formula One. Uh, sorry, not Formula One, but uh, Codemasters, the developers of the, the official Formula One video game, F1 2018. It is available to buy starting on August 24th, and it's available now for pre-order at FormulaOneGame.com. And that's available on all your favorite platforms, including Xbox One, PS4, PC, DVD-ROM, and Steam games. And it is absolutely amazing. I've been uh, playing it for the past week or so. It is, it's amazing. The, uh, the previous versions have been outstanding, but this one is even better. So basically, you get to live the life of a Formula One driver. There's pressure to perform on the track and also off it, dealing with the, the media, your team, and, and even more. You get to manage your ERS, be your own mechanic, and it's really cool. The uh, the data, the handling in the cars for this year is upgraded and improved. And get this, it's really cool. The, the handling for the cars in this year's game is based on real-life Formula One uh, data. And there are also team-specific upgrades. And this year, really cool. Uh, they're bringing back all 12 of the classics uh, from F1 2017, and there's going to be 20 uh, classic F1 cars this year, including the 2009 Braun BGP 001, oh, wow. the 2003 Williams FW25, and my favorite. If you guys are fans of uh, Nikki Lauda and James Hunt, and or James Hunt, and you want to have your own version of Rush. This year's version, F1 2018, includes the Ferrari 312T2 and the McLaren M23D. So go back, a flashback or a throwback to to 1976. So it's absolutely uh, wonderful. So it's also multiplayer uh, features are new and improved for this year. It has a a new F1-inspired super license system, which promotes clean, fair, and competitive online racing and improved matchmaking, which matches you up with other players of comparable skills. So, guys, highly recommended. You know, get in there, pre-order your copy of Formula One 2018 online now at FormulaOneGame.com or buy it on Friday, August 24th on Xbox One, PS4, PC, DVD, ROM, or on Steam. And if you want to go check it out, head on over to FormulaOneGame.com. Lots of previews, lots of screenshots, and if you haven't played it, and unfortunately not very many people have, I can say it's absolutely fantastic, so go check it out. The reviews, uh, by the way, Mark, the reviews are out, and it's probably the best F1 game ever. And uh, I'm going to have the chance to play it in the next few days. I'll take my steering wheel and all my setup out of storage, and I'm going to start driving F1 2018. And I'm probably going to make a few videos, too, (laughs) because one thing with the brand new studio is I can record myself playing. So you'll be able to see me drive and see the result on your screen, Kevin, testing F1 2018. And, you know, it's great to have the classic cars, and it's great to have the handling, too. That's going to be fun. I've been, we, we've talked about this before last year, too, when I was playing Project Cars, the original one, not the second version. I was playing Project Cars, and I was playing F1 2017, 2016. So it's going to be a great way to compare. And the data on Project Cars were 
made from the data they had available in 2014, 2015, but the upgraded version for F1 2018, yeah, I really can't wait. Yeah, and Kevin, just a, a word, uh, you know, just a, aside here, man to man, make sure that uh, you, you plan plenty of time and just to make sure that things, uh, you know, you don't try to encroach on any time with the, with your fiance because it is addictive. <laughs> the game is that good. You, you know, you're not going to just sit down for, for half an hour. I mean, you're going to sit down and play this, I, I would say, at least minimum half-day block. So I'm, I'm just warning you. So big thanks to, to Codemasters and Formula One 2018, the official game of Formula One, for sponsoring the show. And Kevin, back to the the topic of at, at hands. I mean, uh, you know, we're I, I'd say pretty much about three quarters of the way of one of our usual shows, and I, I don't know if we're even halfway through the list <laughs> of topics we wanted to talk about. Yeah, but uh, we we've only barely touched on it. I mean, it, it's been all Ricardo and uh, just some of the the, the big topics uh, in the in the drivers' market uh, so far, but also. One of the other uh, moves that uh, is maybe not a big surprise and shouldn't be for for people that have been watching Formula One and also uh, <laughs> World Endurance Cars is uh, the announcement made by uh, Fernando Alonso, the double world champion, that he's to retire for Formula One at the end of the season. So he's obviously given up his uh, seat at uh, McLaren. And what I find absolutely fascinating, Kevin, is literally hours after the official announcement came, came, <laughs> came the news that... Oh, Fernando's leaving the the door open after 2019 to come back to Formula One if McLaren <laughs> is uh, competitive. Yeah, it's just trying to make sure that he uh, he gets all his duck in a row just in case. But, you know, yeah. I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think Fernando Alonso is done with Formula One. And one of the big reasons for Fernando Alonso to, to take that decision is the lack of action on the track, the lack of overtaking, the lack of his talent showing through the result of a car because of the lack of performance, the lack of reliability, and the lack of know-how, to be quite honest, with McLaren over the last few years, his talent has not shown through. And just go back to the Indy 500 last year. Fernando Alonso discovered that, you know what? The car is okay. The cars are all similar, but my talent does shine here. So let's face it there is a very high probability that the 2019 season, Fernando Alonso does a full-time IndyCar calendar. Yeah, and it's not really a, a real surprise. And, you know, I, I mean, Fernando can say some of these things that it, it wasn't, you know, he didn't want to stay because of the uh, the lack of spectacle and all those things or track action, track action or whatever it was. But, the writing was on the wall, and the writing's been on the wall ever since, like you say, Indianapolis uh, 2017. I mean, he wanted that shot at the cri triple crown of, uh, of motor racing, being Monaco, being in the, uh, the Indy 500, and being Le Mans. He gave the, the, the first crack at, uh, at Indy, and that didn't work out. Unfortunately, his engine let go, ironically. <laughs> and the it, was, it was a Honda engine, too, just, just to make sure that uh, you twist the, uh, the knife really carefully, you know? Yeah, exactly right. So it just it had to work out that way, of course. But then this year, you know, he goes in and races for Toyota in, in endurance cars. They they win Le Mans, and I think from then it was just it wasn't if it was just a, a matter of when is he going to make the uh, the announcement and then make a serious crack at winning the, the the Indy 500 and win that triple crown. I mean, he'd be only guy since 
Graham Hill to, to actually do it. I mean, a lot of guys ha- have have got two out of the three legs. I mean, Jacques Villeneuve, Jacques. of course, has won in Monaco. He's won the Indy 500 several times. So. And he finished second so, in Le Mans so, <laughs> with Ricardo yeah. Zonta back a few, uh, what, 10 years ago maybe or something? Something like that, yeah. So, I mean, that that's obviously Fernando's uh, big big thing, right? I mean, Sean Bratch is the the, the commercial director at uh, at Formula One, the the, the governing body or the, the sorry, the managing arm of uh, Formula One said that uh, Fernando was right to, to say that. But I mean, to say solely that was the reason why he was uh, going to leave Formula One seems like a little bit of a parting shot. Uh, you yeah. know, and I think even more so because earlier this spring or earlier this summer, Ross Braun and Formula One pushed through those aerodynamic changes to the front wings to help uh, to, to, to help uh, increase overtaking for next year. And of course, and surprisingly, I talked about it last episode, just how there, there seems to be this unheard of uh, teamwork between the, the, the teams and the paddocks to, to really form this vision and, and these regulations for, for uh, post-2020 which is which is unheard of. So it's not like I mean it's okay to say the lack of spectacle or lack of action up to this point. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with them. I mean some of the races that we've seen Monaco this year, if it wasn't for Ricardo having that uh, that problem with his uh, MGUK, then it would have been even even worse. But I mean that that was just I think one of the the highlights uh, for that uh, that just proved uh, you know how bad it can be. But they they have been trying to to correct that and under liberty media they're trying to do things that are just unheard of that uh, that uh, bernie ecclestone previously either didn't want to or was uh just just unwilling to or didn't you know wh- whatever the case was to to make those changes so to suggest that that's the whole reason that's you know to leave yeah, that's not really so so much of it because it's it will be addressed whether they not they they get it right. Well, yeah. we'll find out next year and the years thereafter. But the move is there, and the fact that everybody seems to be working together for a, the, this common good is uh, is very encouraging. And uh, Fernando, it, you know, it, it's just really interesting because. There were other comments coming out before he made the announcement. Uh, Christian Horner said that that uh, Red Bull wouldn't try to sign him because he causes "quote unquote" chaos wherever he goes. He's and too unfortunately, honest, right? Because he yeah. calls it like he sees it. Doesn't mean it's always yeah. right, but he calls it like he sees it. And yeah. Mark, we're not surprised by this decision just because we hear him quite often on race radio, and it's never really. Uh, you don't hear a guy who actually likes what he's doing, do you? Like he, he's not feeling like he's enjoying driving those cars and at the point where he is in his career yep. if you don't yep. like what you're doing guess what it's time for a change it's time for a tra- change and yeah that's it that's true right and i think ultimately i think that uh, that uh, alonso's legacy in formula one is going to be quite mixed i mean obviously he there, there is no question that he is one of the best drivers ever talent wise but uh, you know there there was uh, some comments in 1979 world champion Jody Schechter said the other day that uh, that he thinks that uh, Alonso is uh, overrated he said talent wise he's a, a great driver but he disagreed with the comments uh, that uh, Felipe Massa said uh, that uh, he considers Alonso as good as Michael Schumacher well no uh, okay no two one. world championships <laughs> that Alonso got obviously a, a fantastic achievement i mean most guys in formula 1 never even get one let alone two but to compare 
him to to Michael Schumacher in seven. I mean, Michael Schumacher is one of the best of all time, and obviously he's the the most winningest driver from a championship point of view uh, of all time. And I, I agree with Schechter. I think that's a, in that point of view, he is somewhat overrated talent wise. I think he is as quick and as talented as any other guy that's uh, that's ever driven Formula One, and he deserves to be mentioned in that conversation. But it's not about the talent; it's about the poor decision making skills that uh, Fernando Alonso yeah. has had over the last decade, right? It all That's started, right. he leaves McLaren, McLaren wins, start winning. And then he goes to Ferrari, wanting to win again, and then they stop winning. And so it's all about <laughs> poor decision and poor timing for Fernando Alonso, unfortunately. And look, we're in a different world of drivers now, that if you have a name, and, you know, if Alonso goes to IndyCar in 2019, it's going to be the red carpet. They're going to welcome him with open arms like they did last year, and he's going to have the budget to keep up because it's not necessarily as much as a Formula One. But if you're McLaren, I'm happy about the decision too. You know why? You don't have to pay a seven-digit contract to a driver, and you can take that money, invest it in the car, and maybe make yourselves better. So it might be a win-win situation for both McLaren and Alonso. Yeah, and it, you know, I think it's a, a good move for McLaren as well because, like you say, it opens up a, a lot of money, and I think it's interesting too that they're, they're giving a shot to, to to Carlos Sainz because you know there there was quite a bit of discussion before the whole Ricardo thing uh, working out at uh, Renault. Obviously, like I was saying earlier, Sainz was going to be on his way out, obviously because of that relationship he has with the Red Bull Racing, and there was talk that maybe Ocon was going to go from Force India to to Renault. And honestly, I didn't really see or predict uh, that uh, that science would end up uh, at McLaren. Although I didn't, rec- <laughs> I didn't predict that Ricardo was going to go to Renault either. So you know, wh- what do I know? <laughs> but I, I think it's interesting, and I, I think that it's, I think it's, it's a good move uh, for both of them. I think that uh, that uh, science hasn't really had a chance to really, really, I, I think. I don't know, prove what he can do in Formula One. Obviously, he had his time at, uh, at Toro Rosso. And Toro Rosso, obviously, you're never going to be at the front of the grid. And he'd even said uh, like a couple of years ago that uh, by, you know, in a couple of years, I want to be racing for one of the top teams. And, you know, the move to, to Renault, I think, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's almost like a lateral move to, for him. Yeah, at I, a, I was going to say lateral or maybe like yeah. a, a northeast move where it's like yeah. it's it's lateral, maybe a bit forward, but more lateral yeah. than forward. And we'll see how it works with McLaren and that if the McLaren-Renault partnership continues to, to go and it can only go up from here and maybe Science is the guy that saw, here, here's another aspect to it, the technical aspect mm-hmm. to it. He was with Renault and he's seen this engine and he's seen other components that McLaren do use in a different way with a different chassis with a different setup so maybe knowing the ins and out of that engine goes to McLaren and can tweak it a little bit find ways that he discovered with Renault and maybe bridge the communication gap between those two as well so no it Mm -hmm. could be beneficial and I wouldn't be surprised to see Sainz more performant at McLaren than Alonso was over the last two years yeah, I, I mean uh, that, that obviously was never really going to happen at uh, at uh, Toro Rosso because that's more of a development team. And then uh, this year at Renault, he was always going to be playing second fiddle to to Nico Hulkenberg because a he's not a Renault driver and b he doesn't have the experience in Formula One as say Nico Hulkenberg has. So 
he was never really, I think, uh, going to get like a like. I don't know his fair shot, or or really maybe maximize the potential at uh, at Renault. It was probably yeah. a good experience for him, but I think being a McLaren guy and being there, you know, with uh, with several years' experience, I think it uh, it could work out and he becomes, nicely. And he becomes number one driver too, right? It's not going to be Van Dorn, the number one driver. Never mind if he's just going to be there. No, I think that's already done. But. You know, it's not going to be Stoffel Van Dorn, who's number one driver at McLaren. It is Carlos Sainz, and it's a bit of a new beginning. And now they don't have to manage the ego of Fernando Alonso. When you mm -hmm. think about Zach Brown of the last two years, what do you think about? Him trying to soften up the comments of Alonso. He doesn't have to do that now. He can focus on being the CEO of McLaren. God, that just sounds exhausting. Thinking about it, you know, having to, to deal with, a, with with a personality and uh, and an ego as big as uh, Fernando Alonso's, I think that uh, that if you're Zach Brown, I think you're, you're you're just looking forward to getting this car right, getting back, moving up the grid, and and being more competitive. So uh, I know that uh, that they love, uh, or at least publicly, they say that they love uh, Alonso and McLaren. But I think that uh, even if he doesn't come out and say it, I mean, it, it's got to be a, a big weight off of his shoulders not to, to, to have to, to manage that. But, you know, moving uh, across the grid away from uh, McLaren, Pierre Gasly has been uh, confirmed making obviously what is not a lateral nor a northeast move, moving all the way up from uh, Toro Rosso up to uh, Red Bull Racing uh, for 2019, getting uh, uh, Danny Ricardo's seats. And again, a very young driver lineup with uh, Max Verstappen and uh, Pierre Gasly. Uh, Gasly's been getting uh, a lot of accolades and a lot of praise from uh, the, the brass at Red Bull Racing, saying he's now a fully mature Formula One driver. <clears throat> and obviously, his season's been a little bit up and down. I mean, he was extremely impressive at, uh, at Bahrain earlier this year, where he managed a P4 in the Toro Rosso. That wasn't really a fluke, because, I mean, he had the speed all, all weekend long, and it's been a little bit up and down uh, ever since, but uh, I think he's obviously a, another guy that's uh, got a load of talent, and it'll be interesting to see how he mixes with uh, with Max Verstappen and see how uh, he, he matches up uh, against him mano a mano and just to see who's got the, the, the speed, who's quicker. So it's, it's going to be fun to watch, and it, it's really kind of cool to see how things uh, have been moving around. And then Sergio Rape uh, Perez, who sued his team, which kind of uh, kicked off a, a, a whole chain of events. Well, he didn't really sue his team, but uh, I guess he, uh, it was he, all part of move to, to help yes. really get the team into into to administration. administration and then um, get those blocks or those stepping stones in place for Lawrence Stroll and his uh, consortium to, to, to buy uh, Force India, which is, uh, I guess, the, the next thing. Does that mean that... That's Stroll, Stroll Jr. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, <laughs> Perez is close to extending with Force India. And uh, where is Ocon going to go? Because uh, if if they have a choice, Lawrence Stroll, new owner, part of the ownership group of Force India, is probably going to say, yeah, give my kid the ride. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, does he stay at Williams? Does uh, does uh, does Lawrence Stroll find a way to bring him over to the, the team that, uh, that he and his partners have bought? And, you know, honestly, if if I'm Esteban Ocon, I'm feeling a little bit worried about where I'm going to be next year. Because, I mean, he's, he's obviously a young guy as well that's got uh, plenty of talents. But the musical chairs of uh, a Formula One seats is starting to fill up fairly quickly here. Mark, sorry to interrupt. I was going to say sorry for my prediction here. But uh, look, 
Williams, it's a tire fire. Well, let's be quite honest here. It's been, <laughs> Put it mind, yeah. Yeah, it's been terrible. Sirotkin is not good. He should not be back. We'll see if it's because he's bringing the money or not. But if progression and the future with the new brass of Williams, because there was a reshuffling a few weeks ago, and there's going to be some analysis in the offseason to probably bring a new front office to Williams in next year. Look, O'Connor's going to be available, so why not? And there's another driver that knows the engine quite well that is available right now, Pascal Verline. How about Esteban Ocon, Pascal Verline, the William driver lineup for 2019? That would be an upgrade in my mind to 2018. Sorry, Lance, I love you. I'm wearing your shirt right now. But still, <laughs> I think this driver lineup could be beneficial for Williams next year. If it happens, it could happen. But if you're looking at drivers available, those are two drivers that could be available and have the relationship with William. Esteban Ocon for Cindia, guess what engine they're using. And if you're looking at Pascal Verline, reserve driver for the Mercs, look what engine he's using. And yes, those two moves could be possible. Yep. So, I mean, silly season has been fascinating over the past couple of weeks. And, you know, Kevin, I don't remember uh, an eventful summer break in the past. Well, well, in recent memory, <laughs> at any rate, that we've seen over the past uh, two and a half or three weeks ever since the, the end of the, uh, the, the Hungarian Grand Prix. And uh, it's it's definitely not done yet. Uh, you know, there there's still other things uh, coming out, uh, news uh, that's sort of been uh, percolating up to the surface over the past couple of days that, uh, you know, that uh, it's looking good for the German Grand Prix for 2019. I mean, Hockenheim was very well attended uh, this year. It was, uh, was, it was great to see so many people uh, attending uh, the, the race there. And then uh, there's even, uh, you know, some fresh concerns about Monza because ticket sales are, are way down and, they, they just managed to save that Grand Prix uh, only the, in the past couple of years. So when uh, it looked like, uh, you know, Bernie ha- Ecclestone was really going to hold their, you know, hold them to it and really try. And uh, he was prepared to walk away and have, uh, you know, I, I find it unthinkable to have Formula One without uh, a Grand Prix at, uh, at Monza, which is basically the spiritual home yeah. of uh, Ferrari and the Tifosi. But uh, so that's uh, one we're going to wait and see. Miami is still uh, up in the air, whether or not they're going to go uh, to, to have the Grand Prix there. Oh, Miami. It, Nothing ever happens there. They keep announcing sporting events in Miami, and it never happens. Yes, I'm referring to a soccer team that's supposed to happen. Yeah, just and we'll say, never know. Ask David Beckham how, how easy it is <laughs> to get so, you know, pro sports or uh, you know, a, a big uh, big league sport uh, sporting event uh, arranged in uh, Miami because you know, my, my other podcast uh, from the back line, that was one of the very first topics we talked about when our first show went uh, went to air uh, back in the, the fall of 2013, so almost five years ago, and it took almost that long to uh, to, to get uh, that that franchise to Miami for for David Beckham, and it still doesn't even seem it's a certainty nope. now. You know what with the, the the land for the stadium and whatnot, so I don't think uh, you know. Regardless of Stephen Ross is involved and uh, you know all the, the the power and the the abilities that he has to to get that done. It's uh, not by no means uh, an easy thing to get sorted out, and it's uh, by no means uh, going to be done <laughs> anytime soon, based on previous history. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. So we'll keep an eye on this. We'll keep an eye on the next few weeks of news to uh, come back next week with a review. But to, before we end the show, 
interesting yep. remarks by Renault that says standard parts for Formula One because because it's one of the ideas that Liberty Media and the head-on shows of Formula One have to maybe level the playing field a bit to have some standard parts or a standard engine or or other. They say that it, Renault mentions that it could allow for Formula One engine cheating and well. To get a bit of the essence of this belief from Renault, just don't go too far. Just cross the pond, go to North America, and look at the two most popular race leagues that you have in North America, which is NASCAR and IndyCar. There's a big disparity of popularity between the two, yes. But those two have a similar way of dealing with competitiveness, where there's not that much change between the cars and it's more how you handle the pieces that you're allowed to have. And they have rules. Some weeks something is uh, is legal. The week after it's not. And there's, there's a lot of gray areas. And that gray area is what Renault is worried about. That if you have standard parts, what can you do to those parts? What can't you do to those parts? How can you affect those parts? Can become a bit engine cheating. And that's a fear that Renault has if Liberty Media and the teams go in that direction. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, there was that, uh, a bit of a controversy earlier in the year that uh, that Ferrari was somehow getting around the rules with some of the, uh, the the parts that they had on their engine. So maybe that that is an answer. And, you know, honestly, it's a bit of a struggle for me because I see some of the like the the, the sense in having some of these standardized parts, say brakes, for example, that uh, that that would make a lot of sense because. You know, let the teams or the manufacturers build what's 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 to their expertise, right? So you know, let them design the chassis, let them design the engine, but brakes and things like that, who really cares? You know, it's just a, give them all the same brakes and then let them try and exact the uh, the advantages in in other areas. Obviously, chassis and engine gearboxes, those are the big ones. So obviously, you know, if they were to put standardized parts on the engine, how would that affect that ability for for the different engine manufacturers like Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, Honda to to build that uh, that competitive engine. So maybe that uh, that maybe that is maybe that is a partial answer to it. If you have these so many standard parts that everybody's using, regardless if you have a Mercedes or a Ferrari engine, it's the the ingenuity and the engineering and the application of the knowledge and, and to be able to develop the engine to make yours just that much more powerful or get that much more horsepower out of it compared to, to that uh, that Honda engine or whatever it might be. So, I think I think it's interesting. I think uh, I'm I'm not against the uh, the idea of standardized parts. I'd have to see maybe how they propose uh, to do it, but I think it's a, an interesting uh, I think it's an interesting concept that uh, Renault is uh, putting out there. Why waste resources and development, research and development time and money on parts that don't necessarily affect the performance and that can just make you worse, maybe against your competitors? And the fear of Renault on that aspect comes where they don't want to lose their advantage. And that's a very selfish way to look at it. It's just Renault or just Ferrari or just the Mercs or just... Yep. Another team that has an advantage over another that's just saying, look, I don't want things to change because I got an advantage. Well, we live in an ever-evolving world. And, you know, <laughs> the advantage that you do have is experience and knowledge and know-how and manpower. That will not change even if you have standard parts. 
Just the way you use that know-how, that manpower, and those resources to your advantage will change. So it's a bit of a fear of change in my mind, and not necessarily a fear of cheating. So we'll see where Liberty Media and uh, Formula One management takes those ruling and where the team association takes it as well. And I think it's all related, and this is all to trying to direct the narrative of where the rules should go, and it's a ploy by Renault and their associates on the grid, so basically everyone that has a Renault engine, to uh, back this statement in a way that, look, we don't want to lose our advantage, basically. Well, guess what? It always happens, and every time there's a big switch of rules every five, six years, there's a change of hierarchy in Formula One, and if you're Renault, how about you embrace it, and you're trying to be the one team that does make the most amount of change and goes on top of that hierarchy after the rule change. That's how I would look at it. That's how I would approach it, and not necessarily be afraid of it, but embrace it. Yeah, exactly. And Kevin, I think just uh, just before we uh, we wrap it up here, we can just uh, maybe refresh all of our collective memories here. Uh, with the, the the standings in the drivers and constructors uh, championship, and we'll start over on the drivers' side uh, going into the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa Francorchamps this weekend. One of my favorite circuits. It's still Lewis Hamilton on top of the drivers' championship with 213 points, 24 points, almost a race win ahead of Sebastian Vettel with 189. Kimi Räikkönen sneaking up on his teammate a little bit, third place, 146 points followed by Valtteri Bottas with 132. And then you have Danny Ricardo and Max Verstappen rounding out the top six. Danny Ricardo with 118 points. Max Verstappen with 105. And then moving over to the Constructors' Championship, of course, it is just between Mercedes and Ferrari, very tight in the Constructors' at the moment. Mercedes leading the way with 345 points, only 10 points ahead of the Scuderia with 335. Red Bull Racing in third place with 223. And then it's a long way back to Renault in fourth place. And they have a mighty total of 82 points. So there you go, Kevin. Exciting. Looking forward to getting back to racing this weekend. And, you know, I, I almost hate it a little bit once you get that summer break out of the way because <laughs> I always find that second half of the season goes a lot faster than the first half. But, hey, yep. we're back to racing. I guess that's all that really matters. <laughs> back to racing. Lights are off and it's time to go. Thank you, Mark, for your time tonight. It, it, it was really fun to be back. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it feels just like old times and uh, it's it's been a lot of fun. Like I say, it was uh, cool to do uh, uh, Sirius XM radio together, like on opposite sides of the mic, but uh, very cool to, to get back and talk Formula One, both of us. It uh, seems like it's been a very long time. And thanks to Codemasters as well, uh, developers of Formula One 2018. F1 2018 will be available August 24th at F1Game.com and anywhere you get your video games, Steam, PS4, Xbox One, and online on DVD-ROM as well. And until next time, for Mark Daly, I'm Kevin Laramie. Thank you all for staying with Mark and all the co-hosts that filled in for me over the last few months. We really appreciate it. I'm back. I appreciate talking F1, and I miss you all, and we'll see each other next week. And until then, have a great Formula One. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?